Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with you. Marcus Parks can't make it on the show today. He is busy researching to keep you entertained and edutained. So it'll just be me today, and I cannot wait to speak with you. Next Tuesday, that is September 25th, I'm going to be speaking at Culver Stockton College. Uh, That'll be exciting. It'll be at 8 p.m., I'm pretty sure it's a private event for just the people at that college. So if you happen to be enrolled in that school and you're listening right now, I'll see you on Tuesday. And if you are not enrolled in that school, perhaps we can hang out after the show around 9 p.m. in uh, in the area where it is, because I it's a small town. I don't know exactly where it is. I'm flying into a small airport. I don't know the whole I might have a Buddy Holly moment. I might have a leanard skeenard moment where I never even come back at all. I don't know what kind of planes go to the area that I'm flying to. But nonetheless, it'll be very exciting. We have a bunch of stuff to get to today. Obviously, we have the Kavanaugh situation. Uh, Kavanaugh has been accused of sexual assault by Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, That assault apparently took place 36 years ago when they were both in high school. He was 17. She was 15. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what we know. And uh, we're going to talk about the political ramifications of the uh, allegations, because naturally, this is a political show. I also want to talk a little bit about voting machines and how easy they are to hack. That If you think that 2016 was a one-time thing, think again. We've talked about this quite regularly with uh, Dr. Robert Fitrakis in the past, talking about vote flipping, uh, talking about the large corporations that own the all of the voting machines, really. And of course, those large corporations oftentimes tied to the politicians that we are voting for. So uh, naturally, that could lead to a lot of room for uh, compromise. So I'm going to talk a little bit about voting machines and how easy they are to hack. Also, in much, much lighter news, Marco Rubio, he decided to get into a Twitter feud with Salt Bay. For those that don't know Salt Bay, go on Instagram, just search Salt Bay, and you'll be able to find him. He's quite successful. He has 15 million followers on Instagram. I I am one of them. I'm one of the drops in the ocean of his followers, and it is entertaining stuff. He's called Salt Bay because he sprinkles salt in a really fun way on meat, and he chops the meat. He's got a bunch of steakhouses, and he's quite successful in the steakhouse world. A lot of celebs go 
and get their favorite cuts from this guy. Marco Rubio got into a fight with him because he hosted Venezuelan President Maduro, and he was very nice to Maduro. He welcomed him to his restaurant. This is Salt Bay, of course, I'm talking about. He was he welcomed the Venezuelan president to his restaurant, uh, gave him the full Salt Bay treatment, and Marco Rubio took to Twitter and demanded a boycott of Salt Bay because he treated the Venezuelan president with respect. And of course, Venezuela is in total shambles. Maduro is a, is a total scumbag. There is no denying any of that. Nonetheless, it is indicative of 2018 when we have uh, politicians, sitting senators fighting now with Instagram stars because of their treatment towards a customer in their restaurant. Of course, in this case, it happened to be the Venezuelan president. So it is uh, just another reminder that we are in dumb times here, folks. And thank God for Salt Bay in his Instagram feed so I can see him chop up the sweet cuts and sprinkle them with salt the only way that he knows how. So let's get to the biggest news of the week, without a doubt, regarding Judge Kavanaugh. So what do we know about this situation? Okay, so this situation occurred 2012. This is from my understanding, so correct me if I'm wrong. Feel free to DM me on Instagram. My understanding of the events that occurred. 2012, Christine Blasey Ford, she was in therapy with her husband, and she mentioned this sexual assault that occurred when she was 15 and uh, and Kavanaugh was 17. Now, there's also a fellow that was mentioned in the sexual assault, this guy Mark Judge. Mark Judge is someone who wrote a book. He's a close friend of Judge Kavanaugh. He wrote a book about Judge Kavanaugh, talking about how he likes to get hammered and all these kinds of things, which is fine uh, if you if you want to get hammered. No big, no big deal there. Um, but he says he denies all of the accusations made by Ford against uh, Kavanaugh. He says he was in the room and it never happened anyway. She mentioned this in therapy in 2012. Now, what, what else was happening in 2012? Why would she be compelled to mention this? Barack Obama was actually considering uh, Judge Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. So this is, uh, his, his name was sort of circulating. He was rising up in the ranks of, of uh, cool judges. And who doesn't want to be a cool judge? In that world, he was rising up in the ranks. His name was being kicked around already for the Supreme Court. So this compelled Ford to talk about this in a therapy session. Now, the interesting thing about the notes from the therapist, obviously, they are not speaking directly to the therapist. I believe there's some patient-client privilege involved in that situation. There was no name mentioned. There was no name mentioned in the notes. So it's a little bit vague. It's a little bit unclear uh, if it is Judge Kavanaugh. However, Ford's husband does confirm that she mentioned Kavanaugh in 2012 in this therapy session and talked about the sexual assault. The sexual assault involves him being extremely intoxicated, pushing her down, groping her, uh, putting his hand over her mouth to stop her from screaming. So that is the first time that she had spoken about this not in public, but uh, it sort of made made this known. I believe it was the first time that the husband had heard about it, and it was certainly the first time the therapist had heard about it. There's also some people saying uh, that she had talked about this more with friends and things like that. So we know that from 2012. Now, politically, what happens, let's fast forward, let's go in the way, way time machine, all the way up to now. Judge Kavanaugh, 
in uh, what he is proclaiming to be his defense, has gone through six FBI background checks, four days of congressional hearing, and of course a multitude of investigative reports and a lot of scrutiny. So he's saying, why wouldn't this come up previously? Now we have the situation where Dianne Feinstein, of course out of California, you know her, she knew Jim Jones, you gotta trust her, talked about getting a message from somebody, getting a letter from someone. And she mentioned this kind of briefly that she has some information, sort of ominous and uh, kind of strange when you don't know what they have, but she's like, I have something. And then, you know, so that's the kind of dark world that we were living in at the time. Feinstein received this letter from Ford about uh, two months ago or so. That time's a little bit sketchy. She was told to keep it private. And Diane Feinstein, she didn't mention it publicly, but what she did do was leak the story to the press. That's pretty well understood at this point. So it's sort of like, yeah, I'll keep it private. But then, of course, does a back channel approach and leaks it to the press to get this story out there. Now, what happened here is uh, interesting. So now we have a time where Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley, he has said that he would love for Ford to come forward and testify in front of the Senate. He has said that she can testify in closed doors, open doors, public or private, all four of those. Now, Christine Blasey Ford, she is currently in hiding. She's received a lot of death threats. Uh, her life, I can guarantee you, is not <laughs> extremely fun at this point in time, to say the least. So Chuck Grassley also said he would bring the committee to her. So it seems as if they are opening the doors, multiple doors, for her to come and testify. She, through her lawyer, has said that she does not want to go and testify this or next week, next week, Monday, um, because she just doesn't believe that there's, it, it's enough time. She doesn't feel safe. And also, she wants the FBI to investigate the claims. The one interesting thing about that, of course, is that's not really what the FBI does. Uh, if you look at the Constitution and how it's set up, senators, the Senate is who confirms and does not confirm a justice. So if you get the FBI involved in this, it really does break many years of precedent when it comes to choosing a Supreme Court nominee. So a lot of people, now this is coming from the right, the right believes this is a stall tactic um, because November is right around the corner. So we have November right around the corner and the midterms, obviously, that's when those are going to be, uh, really will be a big, big election. The Democrats are hoping for this so-called blue wave to sweep over the nation. Um, and of course, the Republicans are looking to hold. So we'll see if the dam breaks and the water flows over, or if the dam holds strong, the Democrats uh, in, in this situation just politically want to delay the Kavanaugh hearing to after the midterms. Now, in theory, of course, it would make it a much more difficult road to plow for Judge Kavanaugh if the Democrats do miraculously take the Senate or somehow take the House. So politically, what they're looking to do is make the midterms about the issues of abortion, the Supreme Court, and women. Those are three of the big 
points that the Democratic Party is going to be hammering home coming in to the midterms. Obviously, they can't really address the economy. You can address a series of different things when it comes to Donald Trump and his rhetoric, the Republican Party as a whole as being corrupt. You can talk about Russia. There's a lot of things to mine there when it comes to political ammo. They have a lot of bullets to shoot out of their uh, gun, but we'll see if that actually works out. So that is a goal without a doubt politically when it comes to not testifying next week, pushing it off as far as possible, hence the requesting of an FBI investigation. We'll see if it actually ends up working. Now, there's a lot of people, now this is mostly coming obviously from the left, we know where they stand on this issue. Uh, they believe that this is something uh, that must be uh, investigated. And the right, interestingly enough, agrees with the left on that. When it comes to Donald John Trump, we also have to talk a little bit about Stormy Daniels. I don't really want to discuss the genitalia of our 70-year-old president, but it's 2018 and we have to. Marco Rubio is in a fight with Salt Bay. Um, so when it comes to the left and the right, including Donald Trump, they have both said that they want to get the evidence out there. However, they're not agreeing with the arena to play that game. So we have the situation where Donald Trump has come out and really as far as Trump goes, so we take a huge, speaking of salt, we take a huge grain of salt that would uh, salt bay would sprinkle on only uh, the best tenderloin um, when it comes to Donald Trump. But he has said that he wants to hear Ford's story. He has also just recently said that if the allegations coming from Ford are true, uh, there would have been charges pressed and things like that. So Chuck Grassley uh, has said that he wants her to testify. She has said she wants to testify, but just not on next week. Next week, of course, because the Republicans, they want to get this vote through. So what we have here is a couple of issues that both sides agree are issues. For example, um, the years gone by, 36 years, there's a lot of people that say, well, that's a quite a long time. And it is. It's, it's, I was one year old uh, when, this, uh, when this assault happened. And if I was there, I would have broken it up with my fat little baby hands. Um, well, that's not true. I didn't really speak until I was four years old. But I'm making up for it now. So we have people saying, well, it's 36 years ago. The only witness was Mark Judge who says it never happened. Of course, Mark Judge also has a uh, skin in the game. He would never want to admit to something like this happening, therefore making him complicit in a sexual assault, which is certainly something that no one wants to be uh, complicit in. The issues that the writer pointing out when it comes to Miss Ford's testimony is that she doesn't remember the year. Uh, of course, she remembers it's a summer. Uh, it was the summer in the 1980s. And let's be honest, who remembers the summer in the 1980s? I certainly wouldn't. That was a great time to be alive, from my understanding. It was a good time for me as a kid. Great action heroes, great cartoons, and great, of course, action figures. But so she does not remember the year, and she doesn't remember the exact location. So these are two things you know, that that would definitely, those are red flags. Like, wow, okay, how wouldn't you remember that if it's such a significant issue in your life? However, to counter that point, and this is why we live in this world now where the Republicans are going to disagree with her, the Democrats are going to uh, agree with her, and both of them sort of have this, uh, you know, these arrows to 
pull from their quill. Um, she passed a lie detector test. Now, obviously, lie detector tests are not admissible in court, but this is not a situation that's ever going to go to court. We are in the court of public opinion, and there are millions and mil- millions of jurors all over the wonderful land of social media, specifically Facebook and Twitter in this case. So both the left and the right are pointing to what they see as evidence that one or the other is telling the truth. So this is where we are right now. There's a lot of people who believe this is a Hail Mary from the Democrats just trying to, uh, again, as I was just uh, discussing, delay the confirmation hearing of Kavanaugh or completely derail it. And there's a lot of people on the left that believe this is just cause to derail it or at the very least um, get all the evidence out there so Republicans and Democrats know who they are voting for. Now, why is this such a hot issue as opposed to what happened with Neil Gorsuch? Neil Gorsuch, yeah, it was contentious and, um, you know, there were some fireworks during the confirmation hearings. But this is much more significant because the seat that Kavanaugh will be filling if he is um, allowed to fill it, if he is passed through, is powerful. Now we're looking at a Supreme Court that's going to be 6-3, 5-4, maybe on a good day. It's going to be a very Republican, very conservative Supreme Court. So there are a lot of concerns from women, from uh, liberal men, from people who are pro-choice advocates, that Roe v. Wade is on the chopping block, that a series of other uh, economic issues are on the chopping block. For example, Kavanaugh's support of Citizens United. So this seat is extremely significant for the future of this country. Of course, these are lifetime appointments. I have said for a long time the Supreme Court should have term limits just like every other political office. Uh, Well, many others. I believe that term limits need to be across the board, uh, specifically when it comes to these senators and congressmen who just sit there forever and congresswomen that just sit there forever and bilk their states for money and, uh, of course, end up having deep ties with huge corporations that have zero concern for the constituents in those uh, states. So we're looking at someone who can be there or could be there for 30 years. Therefore, I am of the mind. This is my personal opinion. Let's hear out both sides. I don't particularly care when it has to happen. I don't believe the FBI is going to be able to run an investigation. Perhaps they can reopen Uh, The sixth was supposed to be the final um, background check into Kavanaugh's life. That is a possibility. Um, But I would like to hear both of them testify in front of the Senate. I would like to hear witnesses. Uh, Ford has said that she has multiple um, witnesses in, in, in the sense that she told people about what happened. And of course, Judge Kavanaugh also has witnesses, Mark and uh, Mark Judge and uh, and some other folks I'm sure that he would like to call. So get the witnesses together, get Kavanaugh there, get Ford there, and let's hash this thing out and see if this is enough in the minds of the senators to not allow for this judge uh, to go on and become a member of the Supreme Court. That's the only way we can do it. We can't fall into the trap of just blatantly choosing one side or another immediately. We have to be very careful in these situations because the stakes are really, really high. So you want to make sure to do these things correct. And in the 
process that has been set up by the Constitution because, once again, a lifetime appointment, there should be no rush to get this person appointed. And, of course, we also have the situation where the Republicans, when Barack Obama was the president, he nominated Judge Merrick Garland. Now, Merrick Garland, by all all walks, uh, you know, all stripes across the political aisle, said, oh, this guy's a great guy. He's a great judge. And the Republicans were able to delay that until, of course, it was far too it was <laughs> far too late for him to be uh, ever, uh, you know, allowed to sit on the Supreme Court. They delayed it for a year. So when it comes to the Republicans rushing this situation through, rushing Kavanaugh through, I believe we can take a pause, look at the evidence, and see what happens. Now, politically, once again, as I said, the Democrats would definitely like this to hang over the midterm elections because they believe it is a political winner for them. Hi guys, Ben Kitzel here for Stamps.com. If you're a podcast listener, you know how great it is to get practically everything on demand. Like this show, for example. You can listen to This Week in Politics pretty much anywhere life takes you. Home, work, the gym, or doing chores. Speaking of chores, why are you still taking trips to the post office when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? With Stamps.com, you can access all the great services of the post office right from your desk 24-7 when it's convenient for you. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, using your own computer and printer. All available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale so you can weigh your letters and packages and print the exact amount of postage every time. If you're an LPN listener, you already know I'm a big fan of Stamps.com. But more importantly, Travis, our producer here, is a big fan, and he's the one who sends out all the merch, packages, and letters to you guys every week. It makes his job a heck of a lot easier, which I think it should be more difficult, but that's fine, it's easier for him, and gives him more time to bring you the shows you love. What's not to love? Right now, use Top Hat for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks in free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Top Hat. That's Stamps.com. Enter Top Hat. So that's, to my knowledge, what we know about uh, the accusations against Judge Kavanaugh and about the accuser, Miss Ford. So we'll see what happens going forward. And, uh, you know, I know, as always, I just looked at my Twitter and searched Kavanaugh. And as always, you got people on the right and on the left saying very hyperbolic things, very definitive things. And uh, there's no real conversation happening. The real conversation, of course, hopefully can come in front of the Senate. And we'll see if the Senate has learned anything from what happened to Anita Hill. In 1991, of course, she was claiming that Clarence Thomas, as an adult, violated her. And, of course, they're talking about uh, sexual harassment in the workplace. Uh, she talked about having a pube on a, a pubic hair on uh, on one of her uh, drinks. You know, really bad stuff. And you, you go back and, you know, you talk about Joe Biden. Now, as some people see him as a superhero uh, for the left. But, my goodness gracious, he grilled Anita Hill more than Salt Bay grills his steak. Look at that. I continue to bring it back to Salt Bay. What a talented personality I am on these things. Um, so we'll see if that's history repeating or 
if changes have been made. And speaking of Joe Biden and speaking of the Democrats, I was just reading an article about their plan and their major plan is right now, and this made my skin crawl a little bit because I believe they consistently fall down the exact same trap as they always fall down, which is not connecting with working class voters, which say what you want about Trump. And we certainly say what we want about Trump. He is connected with working class voters. And uh, and I love the working class. But uh, they want to bring out the big guns for these midterms. So they're looking for their big super donors. And there are a lot of very wealthy liberal folks out there. And they want to bring out the Clintons, the Obamas, and the Bidens. Those are going to be the three big, or I suppose six, big guns they want to bring out in order to get some more turnout in the midterms. And I will say, Bill Clinton doesn't really look so good in this uh, shadow of the Me Too movement. Uh, And certainly Hillary Clinton uh, sort of has some buckshot from the scandals that um, that forever haunt her her husband and former president Bill Clinton. And of course, Hillary Clinton derailed and sort of ended the careers and lives of a lot of women as well. You have Obama and I think Obama is a good face for the Democratic Party right now. Uh, And of course, uh, Michelle, I mean, just there's. They're, they're great. I mean, he's a great orator, and I was happy to see him, as they talked about on Fox and Friends, happy to see him back out there talking about uniting the country. Of course, there was a lot of people who say he divided the country more than any president in history. And again, take that with a grain of salt. And then you have the Bidens. Now, with with uh, Joe Biden, he's been branded, of course, Creepy Joe. We've seen a lot of the footage. He he is a uh, he's a hands on guy. Uh, you you just wonder if those are the people, uh, the Clintons and the Bidens specifically, that the Democratic Party want to be bringing out. And you wonder if uh, and you wonder if they really want to be milking the billionaire class and the millionaire class for money, as opposed to going down and trying to get that grassroots support. Something that Bernie Sanders, uh, like the Beverly Hillbillies, were able to tap into oil. He was able to tap into that grassroots, which is a thing that can only be done with authenticity. That is the drill that must be used to tap into the grassroots is authenticity. So we'll see if they're able to pull that off. We'll see if they're able to get presidential election-like numbers, because that's what they need to get uh, in order to win the House or the Senate. So why is it going to be so difficult to win the Senate? There are 10 Democratic senators right now who are in very conservative states. So you have Heidi Heinkamp, Joe Manchin, uh, the list goes on. And for them, those seats are highly contested, and it's possible the Republicans could win in those seats. So basically, what the Democrats have to do, and this is you got to channel your inner Doug Flutie from Boston College. You have to have a miracle here. Um, of course, everyone understands that 1988 reference, right? Might have been the early 90s. I don't know. Um, but they have to really have a miracle in order to just maintain the amount of seats they have in the Senate, let alone be able to switch the pendulum over 51 uh, to, to 49 on the other side. So it's going to be an uphill battle. And just going back briefly to Kavanaugh and the accusations from Miss Ford, the senators that are key votes as always, and I'm so sick of hearing these names as like, will they vote yay or will they vote nay? Susan Collins out of Maine and Murkowski. Uh, these are always the two uh, senators that it's like, will they side with the Democrats? Won't they? And they nine times out of 10, 
even more nine, 9.9 times out of 10. They just side with the Republicans. And I don't know if, if it's just the media likes to play this idea up that somehow maybe they'll be able to switch sides and go with the Democrats or vote no against the Republicans. And we haven't seen that happen really yet. So I don't put a lot of stake in it. But senators like a Joe Manchin or someone like uh, Claire McCaskill, for example, another person in more of a Trump uh, Trump state, she has now said that she's not going to vote for Kavanaugh. It does matter if you don't get some bipartisan support because you want to have a little bit of uh, you want a safety net. But then again, we live in a time now where you don't need the 60 senators. You just need 51. So. I'm not going to make any predictions on if Kavanaugh is going to be on the Supreme Court or not, but it's much easier than it should be, in my personal opinion, to get someone on the Supreme Court. And I hate that rule so much. I believe they call it the Biden rule. I hate that rule so much um, because now we're having hyper-partisan judges as opposed to judges that were forced, forced to be more moderate because they needed to get at least nine Democrats or nine Republicans, depending on who's appointing the Supreme Court justice on board with them. So that's why we're seeing this hyper politicized, hyper um, polarized Supreme Court. And I think it is to the detriment of the country. Okay, let's move on here briefly. I want to talk about voting machines. And uh, in the U.S., this is an article coming here from this is from CBS News. And they are talking about how tens of thousands of voting machines in the United States are vulnerable to hacking. They have been successfully dismantled and attacked by security researchers for years to demonstrate their flaws. This is according to an annual DEFCON hackers conference. Ooh, can you imagine? What do they serve at a DEFCON hackers conference? I think a lot of like liverwurst and uh, maybe it's like you see those um, canned sardines in a, in a deli or a supermarket and you're like, who eats those things with a little saltine cracker? I think they're mostly sold or given away for free at the DEFCON hackers conference. So this was in 2017. One tech professor from the University of Copenhagen was able to penetrate an advanced voting solutions machine in guess how much time? Two days, one week, 30 days, 90 minutes. It took this man 90 minutes to penetrate an advanced voting machine. The attackers were able to access the administrator mode, allowing them to potentially alter voting data. This is, you talk about Russia, we talk about memes on social media swaying the election. This is real. This is how they could do it. When I say they, I'm talking about any political operative that wants to swing a, uh, an election in their favor. There was a lot of speculation this happened in 2004 in Ohio when it comes to John Kerry versus Bush. When they brought the voting machines down to another state, John Kerry was up. They brought them down to another state. They brought them back to Ohio. George W. Bush won the state. A lot of speculation that hacking occurred in that situation. At this year's conference, a group of hackers were able to crack one. You think 90 minutes was a short amount of time. Now they're able to crack one in 15 minutes. And this is what one hacker told CNET, uh, CNET. They said, should you be trusting your vote with these? I don't think so. He goes on to say they're running Windows, they have USB ports, they're actual computers, and very susceptible to attacks. That's according to this fella named Chris Thomas, the global strategy lead for IBM's X-Force cybersecurity team. So despite the risk of hacking, states continue 
to rely on digital voting machines. This is why I believe until we can really get these machines safe, really get them impenetrable, we just got to go back to paper ballots. I know it sounds primitive, but we must just go back and have a paper trail or perhaps do the do both where you can vote and then it prints out your vote so you get the paper trail. There has to be paper evidence of the vote. Otherwise, we really cannot trust the system. Just this week, a judge ruled that Georgia can continue to use. So we talk about states that might that want to flip votes. Georgia, obviously a more conservative state. It's 16-year-old system. So they're going to be continuing to use this 16-year-old system this November. This November, they're going to be using this system that can be hacked in 15 minutes. You're telling me there aren't people around the country, let alone around the world, that would love to just as a lark or as a real political move, change the vote. Of course there is. And this is the quote here regarding the systems in Georgia. Some of the testimony and evidence presented indicated that the defendants and state election officials had buried their heads in the sand. Georgia's Secretary of State Brian Kemp said in a statement, as I have said many times, this is according to, again, Brian Kemp. This is what he is saying. As I have said many times over, our state needs a verifiable paper trail, but we cannot make such a dramatic change this election cycle. According to Cornell University, there are approximately 174,000 precincts and 113,000 polling places in the United States. Christopher Famagetti of the Brennan Center for Justice explained that voting systems and computers must comply with state and federal government standards, but due to a lack of funding, most run antiquated software and hardware. So it's about the money. If we're going to be, you know, we talk about wasting 19 billion bucks on a border wall for security of our country. I think that this issue is, you know, more significant, if not equally significant to that 19 billion bucks. Give them a couple billion dollars and figure out these voting machines. So when people go to the polls, they feel like their voice is actually being heard. This is according to Famageddy. Again, he told CBS News, we found that more than 40 states are using voting machines there at that are at least 10 years old. So uh, this is something that we really have to keep a, uh, a a lot of attention. We have to give it a lot of attention because if if our voting machines don't work, then what is the point of getting out there and voting? And that's why when we talk to some people, you hear a lot of people who are more skeptical. You see the um, stickers all over the place. The vote is broke. These stickers that say the vote is broke. And in a sense, they're correct because the vote is broke if the voting machines are that susceptible within 15 minutes to have your vote altered. So it's something that doesn't get a lot of attention whatsoever. I just wanted to bring it up here on the show to keep you aware of it. This is in 2016. Simintech Security Response Director Kevin Haley told CBS News, the results go from the voting machine into a piece of electronics that takes it to the central counting place. That data is not encrypted and that's vulnerable for manipulation. So this has got to be more of a priority um, when it comes to we need, we need to get funding and it needs to be more of a priority from our politicians. Of course, if you're a politician and you won, maybe you don't mind that the voting machines don't really work. Perhaps it works out in your favor. So maybe that is why we're not seeing uh, a lot of movement on attempting or trying to prevent 
further hacks into our voting machines that alter elections and inevitably alter our lives. All right, let's end up with uh, let's just end with the with the lamest story here of the week. Marco Rubio tweeting about Salt Bay. So until this week, Salt Bay was best known for as an Instagram famous chef. He wears tight V-necks, owns a global chain of high-end steakhouses, and entertains his celebrity clients by uh, by really just sprinkling salt all over thick slabs of meat. And how incredible is that? So uh, he so he has the Venezuelan president there with him. And then Monday night, Senator Marco Rubio thrust Salt Bay into the center of an international <laughs> diplomatic crisis. Rubio called out the Instagram famous butcher Monday night for posting a video of himself serving steak, as I said earlier, to Venezuelan President Maduro and his entourage. And this is the tweet for Mark Rubio. He says, this guy, who admires dictator Nicolas Maduro so much actually owns a steakhouse in all of places, Miami. Okay, so now Marco Rubio, you know, when you're a senator, you don't have a lot on your mind. There's not a lot going on. There's not a confirmation hearing you have to think about. There's not um, a series of other really massive issues happening all across the country. Uh, we don't have a president who may or may not be crazy. Um, but we do need to focus on the things that matter. And that is Instagram star feeding a Venezuelan president who, as I've said earlier, he's a total scumbag. And I understand where Marco Rubio is coming from to the degree that, yes, Venezuelan President Maduro is a bad person, but um, he's not like inviting him to uh, settle policy. He's just feeding the guy some steak. And this is America. If you have a restaurant, I mean, you know what? You need to make some money. It's a really hard business. And I guarantee you, he made quite a bit of cash off the Venezuelan president who got who gets his money uh, through uh, huge amounts of corruption and killing his own people. But nonetheless, so this was Marco Rubio who threw his the gauntlet down for Salt Bay. And then he continues on. He called for a boycott of the restaurant. And there was one person, and if you get a chance to see the picture, there's one person who boycotted, and it's just a woman, and uh, she has a, she's just holding up a sign, and it's the saddest protest in the history of protests. And uh, I just thought it was kind of a funny story because, of course, uh, it doesn't seem really important enough for a U.S. senator to meddle in the uh, clientele of steakhouses. But nonetheless, Marco Rubio decided uh, to do that. So that's basically the biggest news of the week. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. And again, I'll be this next Tuesday, the 25th, I will be at Culver Stockton College uh, giving a little speech. And if you get a chance, go check out my YouTube channel. It's just under Ben Kissel. I got like 39 videos on there right now. This past week, uh, I did HLN, and I was talking with this woman who had one of these tweetsicles. I don't know what they are. What do you call it? Tweet stories, tweet thread. I don't know what the heck these things are called anymore. But she was claiming that men are 100% responsible for pregnancy, which, as I was talking about earlier, we live in this society of, like, say something extreme and then get a reaction. And the reaction's extreme, and everyone is dumber. So I talked a little bit about some of the uh, issues with her theory. Of course, I understand where she's coming from, that everyone has to be responsible, both men and women. And men uh, can be more responsible, as everyone can always be more responsible. But I think I answered that question uh, or sort of discussed that issue fairly well. Uh, there was a lot I didn't get to uh, because, of course, you get like four minutes on those things. So there's always more to discuss. 
basically my number one point, and I think the most valid, well, all my points were valid, but the number one thing was uh, if men are 100% responsible for pregnancy, then in theory you could extend that logic to men are 100% responsible for the baby uh, in utero, which then therefore could lead to men making this decision for the woman to keep or not keep the child. So that would, of course, play right into the hands of what I'm assuming are Republican pro-lifers that this woman... uh, is against. So anyway, it's interesting. We're living in uh, dumb times as always, but we shall get through it. And uh, well, we have to, so we will. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. You know where to find me. I don't really do Twitter, but it's Ben Kissel and Ben Kissel one on Instagram. DM me, send me pictures, and I'll post them on my Instagram. I'm loving all the art. The art's incredible. And everyone who's getting the hail yourself tattoo. Um, I really hope I never disappoint you because then that'll be a colossal pain in the ass. But thank you all so much. I love you very much. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen Gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.